Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Lorelai Weissel, and we're just blazing right through cold opens tonight because we got too much exciting stuff to talk about. <laughs> Sweet. And I'm Brian Dawes. <laughs> and I'm shocked. <laughs> we are here tonight with Gavin Verhey from Wizards of the Coast. Introduce yourself, Gavin, please. Hey, everyone. This is Gavin Verhey from Wizards of the Coast, coming to you live from the wonderful corner of Renton, Washington. I'm actually in the hollowed halls of Wizards of the Coast as we speak here tonight. Uh, very exciting day at work, by the way. The power went off today. That hasn't happened in my entire history at Wizards of the Coast. The, we were all working on our computers, and then the power went off, which was horrible because everyone's computers like turned off and laptops were rolling maybe but the lights all went off which was weird and everyone had this moment of like terror about what happened to them but then we all realized we all work in an office with magic cards everywhere so so you know it was great the original the original candle as it were anyway when i'm not busy telling goofy stories i am a game designer a senior game designer in fact and product architect here at Wizards of the Coast. And one of the most recent things that you know about that I've finished, which is, I finished it like almost a year and a half, two years ago now, a uh, year and a half, is a little Magic the Gathering set called War of the Spark. I was not the lead designer on it, but I was one of the primary designers on it. And I can tell you all kinds of fun stories from it tonight. Great, because that answers like a couple of our questions that we were going to ask at the beginning. Great forethought, Gavin. Thanks. I'm, I'm very efficient. <laughs> I know, you, I know you were going to ask, has the power ever gone out at Wizards before? And I just knocked that one right out, right? You're like, bam, I've always <laughs> wanted to know, and now you're just ready to go. It's, oh, it's probably because of the war update from Arena today. They uh, Just too many planeswalkers. Yeah, I mean, uh, you get Rawl Zarek in the mix, and who knows what's going to happen with your electricity. Uh, by the way, everyone, since the novel is actually public now, um, I can finally shout publicly all about how Ryle and Tomic are gay. They are boyfriends. It's in the novel. It's canon. And it's so great. And I'm so happy. I'm not going to shut up about it <laughs> ever. So Gavin, so which, uh, there there are multiple design teams that are kind of in the pipeline. Um, uh, the, the vision design, set design, and play design. So where did you fit in for War of the Spark? Yeah, so I worked on the set design process of this. So vision design had kind of already crafted a vision, tried out a lot of really wild mechanics for War of the Spark. And then eventually what they landed on, as ridiculous as it sounded, was they tried doing all this stuff with a war and making the war work. And there was this weird skirmish mechanic where, like, you had a separate track and it was like tug of war and it was crazy and wild and weird. And eventually, by after trying out a million different things, they were like, let's scrap all this. Because what we all really care about are planeswalkers. And they d- went with the tons of planeswalkers in the set. Um, and Dave Humphreys decided to put one in every booster pack, which, given that he led Dominaria, should be no surprise. He seems to like this, this little shtick of something in every pack. And, uh, yeah, so that was on the set design process where we really honed the set and get it into shape and uh, refined the mechanics, uh, refined the planeswalkers, refined a lot of really cool stuff about it. Our listeners might be wondering what we're doing having a game designer here on the Vorthos cast. Uh, so what we really wanted to talk today is is about how folks in your position, Gavin, um, deal with story and character when it comes to magic sets and, um, and, and how you design cards for that and inspired by that. And if there's a kind of cross-contamination between cards and story and cards that influence things in the story and uh there's really no better set to talk about when it comes to that kind of stuff than war of the spark this is um you know i've i've been playing magic for 15 16 years now and there has never been a set that just has embraced magic story more than this one yeah i mean this is what we're calling an event set it's really one of the first of its kind and the idea of an event set is Instead of being about a world, like many sets are, hey, we're on Ravnica, hey, we're on Ixalan, come and check it out. The event set is, boom, there's a thing happening on this world, you should pay attention. And in, in, this, in this case, it's mostly all happening on uh, Ravnica. There's a couple cards that might allude to other things. But in the future, if we do another event set at some point down the line, it could even be across multiple planes, who knows? Um, 
because what we're really focusing on are the story and all the things that we brought in from here. And really, we've been planting seeds for this set for a very, very, very long time and kind of bringing everything in. So, of course, we have the Immortal Sun. We have the Eternals. We have everything that you've seen happen over the past few years, uh, Tezra and the Planar Bridge, all coming together in, in a big culmination. And to me, that's really exciting. And as a designer on this product, it led to some pretty interesting stuff because we started instead of with a blank slate, as we often do, or, hey, you're going to Ixalan, there's pirates maybe, figure it out. We started with a lot of information. These are all the planeswalkers that we want to be here, or at least here's a lot of the planeswalkers we want to be here. We know we're going to need these story moments that have been mapped out so meticulously by the creative and franchise team. All this stuff, we can start putting card designs to immediately, and that really informed the design of the set significantly by what was going on. And yes, you still have the guilds, and you have the Ravnica flavor and all of that, but there are some key, 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 key story bits we wanted to make sure we could put out here. Yeah, one of the things uh, Mark Rosarotter had talked about in, um, I think maybe his first preview article about this, is um, looking back at the Hour of Devastation design and talking about how Eternalize was... Um, a mechanic that they landed on and uh and you were really looking for things that could be throw forwards to this set um maybe it wasn't eternalized was it a flicked maybe it was a flick it was a flicked yeah and and that's uh you know we we talk a lot about um story vorthos stuff on this podcast but the gamer vorthos is still one of those uh faces from uh Ansold article um the, the idea that playing a game of magic creates these storytelling experiences and um the, the emotional intersection of of the gameplay um intersects with the flavor in lots of interesting ways and in how to maximize that and and having so, so i mean obviously you didn't go with a flick in the set but um theoretically if that had happened that would create a story moment where hey, remember this thing from back then, it meant this thing, it's going to mean this thing again. And I, and I, th I, th I think having this as an event set and being able to bring all these disparate parts together um, really creates opportunities for cool stuff like that. Yeah, Afflicta's unfortunately a bit of a, a failed pass, to use a football term, American football term. You know, you, you, we, we threw it up for us, we thought we were setting ourselves up for some kind of great great play where hey remember this, this thing six years you know six sets ago well it was on these eternals and the eternals are back so you get to do the afflict thing and we loved it and everyone loved it and the problem was we decided to do that back when milk was i call it milk when war of the spark milk was the code name back when war of the spark was like doing more war style stuff as opposed to more planeswalker focused stuff and there weren't all the planeswalkers in the set then. And the problem is that Afflict is, deals with loss of life, so it doesn't impact planeswalkers. And so uh, gameplay kind of went out there. It didn't really make a lot of sense. But flavorfully, I think that concept is really good because you're talking about flavor, and if you can tie a mechanic to a, a race or a faction or a guild or whatever, and then bring that back later, that's a really cool way you can introduce that. Um, you know, I'll give you an example, and this is... This is off the cuff, so don't take this to mean anything in particular about the future. But imagine in the next block of magic, we just had a couple cards with Infect. Now, there's nothing weird about them, right? They're just Infect cards. They've got normal names. There's, you know, your Raging Berserker with Infect. It's like, oh, yeah, we're just a good old buddy, Raging Berserker, no problem. But, of course, in the back of your mind, you're like, is something Frexian going on here? Because it's so tied to... That, that Frexian notion. And I think we can do some really subtle stuff like that where the flavor matters a lot to what people are caring about inside of a mechanic. Gavin, this is the Vorthos community. There's a segment <laughs> that always thinks there's Frexian stuff going on. We, we, we have gotten uh, new Frexias coming pretty much since Shadows Over Innistrad, I think. Pretty much every block. Well, we all, we all know that the Wanderer is Frexia, right? Everyone's figured that out by now. <sighs> No, but she is the best, though. No, she's she married. She is. Late. I, she is. Brian, Brian is never <laughs> married. Age, which is funny, though, because I have multiple story hooks where married age makes sense. Right. It, it's it, it, like it's like the people who think it's Phyrexians are the conspiracy theorists, and then the married age people are like the flat earthers. They're like the really deep conspiracy <laughs> theorists trying to figure it all out. 
Oh, Gavin, I knew we were bringing you on for an interview. (laughs) I didn't know we were bringing you on to just call Brian out like this. Wow. I I need some Band-Aids and some aloe. I feel this burn on my arm is really hurting right now. Well, you know, the great thing, though, is is that we at Wizard of the Coast are all gigantic story goobs who, you know, work in R&D, or at least many of us are. And so we think about stuff like this all the time. So even though you might have some ridiculous merit lage theory, we might also have some ridiculous merit lage theories. And who's to say when we might see that great one finally show up? Oh, it, it, it is true, though. Um, I, I, I have had enough conversations with uh, Kelly Diggs and Ethan Fleischer uh, about Dominari and things um, what, about a year ago now uh, when the set was coming out. And there's just like like that's that set. Um, having, having Kelly and Ethan working on that set was, um, magical to use a, a tired joke in this community, <laughs> but, um, yeah, be, being able to really flavor goob out with, uh, Watsy staff, it's really fun. Yeah, I do it all the time. It's, it's awesome. By the way, Gavin, you can say hi to Ethan. I know he listens. Hi, Ethan. Hello, Ethan. I hope I don't spoil anything that you were hoping did not be told. <laughs> Actually, I, speaking of Ethan, you will appreciate this. So I told this, the goofy story earlier about the power going out at Wizards. Mm-hmm. So the power goes out at Wizards, and everyone starts scrambling. What's going to happen? You know, We all start playing magic, whatever. Some people go to go to other things. A couple of people went home. Ethan just grabs the War of the Spark novel, goes over, sits down in a chair and starts reading it like nothing changed. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, yep, this is what I always do when the power goes out. Still doing it now. Uh, Ethan is great. I, I honestly don't think there is a person, a single individual on the planet who has read more of Magic's primary uh, flavor story document things than Ethan. And he's not even on the creative team. Like, he he is a trooper, uh, he, and he's a treasure. And uh, the, the only person who may have him upped would be like Kelly Diggs, but very few people. Yeah, maybe Ke- Ke- Kelly's a big nerd. Maybe we're all big nerds. And so say we all. <laughs> so an event set is taking a lot of these elements in Magic's story past and and putting them together, and and that's kind of similar to something. Um, we see a lot uh, called top-down design sets. So this is like Innistrad, where it takes the gothic horror theme and designs cards based on that, or Theros, where it's Greek mythology, and and that is the inspiration. Um, the event set is kind of almost a, a magics world-building top-down set, where um, a, a lot of it is inspired directly from magic as an IP. So, so, so how is that process um, in terms of making cards kind of similar or different? Yeah, well, it, yeah, it's top-downing things players already know, which is so cool. We spent a lot of time creating these great worlds and making these great characters, that, and the players got to know them. And now we can take advantage of that. And we can say, okay, you know what Sahili is like. Let's make a top-down Sahili, a card that feels truly Sahili-like. Uh, you know, when this whole thing started, we were trying to decide what plane we wanted this big event set to be on. Because we could pick any plane we wanted. We could we could have, have it be Ravnica. We could have just as easily had everyone leave Ravnica at the end of last set and move somewhere else potentially. Um, you know, if we'd rewritten the story beats a little bit. And what we, we realized is we've gotten to the point where some of our biggest quote-unquote characters are planes. Where a plane itself feels like a character to players. People really care about Ravnica. They care a lot about Ravnica. It's, it's got nostalgia. It's got these guilds people love. And if Nico Bolas was going to invade a plane, let's make it one that people really care about. If he goes, I, I'm so sorry, but if he goes off and invades Ilgrotha, I know there's plenty of Ilgrotha fans out there in the audience, but if he goes out and invades Ilgrotha, people are not going to care nearly as much as if he invades Ravnica. Um, and so, G- Gavin? I would not worry about upsetting Ogrotha fans any more than I will, because I will always remind them that all the planar portals sustaining it are closed as of the mending, and it's probably gone and destroyed by now. Rip Baron Singer. No, no. <laughs> One of those portals was under Singer's castle, and his army was right there. It's in the Future Sight novel. He could have escaped. <laughs> as long as we're talking conspiracy theories. So, yeah, it is. It's almost like we've built up a strong meta. We've, we've built up this whole meta story over the past 25 years and this particular story over the past few years with all kinds of story threads. Now we can finally pay that off and we can 
create cards based on things players have been asking for or that they know. And that's really, really cool. So that kind of happens at a card level too. So so there's a card in the set, Makeshift Battalion, which um, is finally one of our visual guild team-up cards. There is a Demir Agent, a Boros Paladin, and a Simic Hybrid all charging together. And um, the Makeshift Battalion has Boros's Battalion mechanic from Gatecrash. Mm-hmm. And... and is, is this kind of one of those examples where you can design a card and say, hey, we have a mechanic that means a flavor thing in this world, and that is capital for us to design a card? Yeah, to, to me, this is a really good example. I mean, there's clearly throwing back to some old stuff on Ravnica, and there's a number of cards in the set that do things in the similar space. It has the, this one's very on the nose. It's got Battalion in the name, so it keys you in pretty quickly, but it kind of shows how yeah, everyone's uniting and rallying behind the Boros, and you get to see this kind of this kind mm-hmm. of team up. There's also the, um, oh, I don't remember what they ended up being called. There's the cycle of cards w- that are all about the two guilds teaming up. Uh, the uh, the Bonds? The Bonds, yeah. In in playtesting, they were called Together We Blank, like Together We Stand or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would have been sweet. And those, those are so cool because the, the art and the mechanics marry really well together. Of You see, oh, here's Rakdos and Gruul teaming up with each other. You see them in the artwork teaming up, and you look at the effect, and it makes sense that it would be something they would do when they're teamed up. And to me, that's really, really neat. And it kind of shows that people have built up this cachet with these guilds. They care about them, and they understand them at such a deep and fundamental level, they can see what happens when you combine two of them. Now, of course, there's other tricks going on here because, so this is all, we're all, of course, gigantically into flavor. We think about this stuff all the time. But by the same token, one of our big challenges with War of the Spark was, if this is someone's first magic set or one of their early magic sets, how do we still make it approachable? How does that even work? You know, how do you start watching with the Avengers instead of seeing all the lead up? And even though it's a very unusual set and it has all of, of these planeswalkers, we made sure there are, there's not too many keywords running around. There's, the cards mm-hmm. still function and make sense if you don't get that. It kind of goes into Rosewater's lenticular design thing, you know, where if you look at Makeshift Battalion, to use, go back to your example, it just looks like a magic card. To anyone, it's like, I get it. It's three mana, three, two. It's got a name, sure. When, when I attack with it and two other creatures... It gets a plus one plus one counter. Okay, sure. That I just read that. It's a simple comment. It makes sense. But for you and I, you can see the other lenticular side of it, which has this deep, deep history with battalion and the guilds teaming up and all these things. And so it really allows for people who are of any story generation or any gameplay generation to come in and think this card is totally solid without you know going into time spiral levels of absurdity. Time spiral has a lot of neat stuff, but it has it sure is a magic set. <laughs> What is your favorite time spiral in joke? Oh man, uh, are you are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. Gavin, that that's before Dominaria. That was the last time we printed a Hammerit. <laughs> well, you, I would have totally believed me if you had said Serpentian Empires. Okay, so there's a there's a lot of <laughs> the, the Serpentian Empires is very good. Um, but but the Viscera Deepwalker also. Um, that Viscera Deepwalker got to bring back Hammerit as a word on the type line and viscerid as a word in the name to kind of reference um, both the fallen empires and the alliances homerids was really neat sarpedian empires was was very good the, the whole the whole set was good um god what was what was some of the best ones can i tell you my favorite mm-hmm. well you think yes. yes you can my favorite is but there's a lot of by the way i still find references when i go back and look at time spiral block Oh, every, every card has yeah. like 17. There's still so many that I find. But one of my all-time favorites is Cyclopean Giant. Do you know this card? Mm-hmm. So Cyclopean Giant, it's a two black, black, four, two. And when it dies, you get to exile it and make a land a swamp forever. Now, what's going on here? Now, it's a combination of the card Cyclopean Mummy, which is a 1B, 2, 1. And when it dies, you exile it. And a Cyclopean Tomb, which makes things swamps forever. But that wasn't enough. So it's actually two Cyclopean mummies and a Cyclopean tomb because that's a that's a four two. So it's the old two B B four two Cyclopean mummy Cyclopean mummy Cyclopean tomb combination, which is just so esoteric and ridiculous. And you know whoever thought of it was just cackling because you see the word Cyclopean is in both of their names. Um, and just stuff like that that I love. 
Mine is definitely Safi, Eric's daughter. Oh yeah, Safi. That that that's great. Yeah, a lot of the references don't have to be subtle. Um, that that that's definitely something that comes up. Um, when I'm working on names and flavor text, and, and it's a good point about the uh, the makeshift battalion is is yeah, like that's the joke. It, the, the battalion's in the name because it has essentially the battalion mechanic. Sometimes you just tell people what a thing is, and that's all that needs to be. And um, I, I I think there's there's kind of the um, the uh, you know the the galaxy brain meme where where the tiny brain is tell people what a thing is, and, and the the genius brain is the uh, be really clever about things, but then the galaxy brain is back is just back to just tell people what a thing is. Um, and I, I think Time Spiral had a whole lot of both of those things, um, which which is really fun. You you know what? Um, another card I really love that is in kind of the same vein was Onyaro Bees. Oh yeah, oh, I was gonna. That was my second favorite. So oh man, because it combines killer bees and Onyaro Bee Sting. Right. Well, that just uh, makes the the card. It, it's like someone was like, "Oh, let's search for the word B and see what comes up." All right, here we go. Let's put them together. <laughs> it, it's like just to make Mark mad. <laughs> I know there's a lot of talk about how Time Spiral hurt a lot of magic, and we can't do that again. But um, I I I hope that someday, um, Commander Commander sets which you also work on uh, get to do this a little bit. Um, we, we had a. Teferi's protection, which brought back phasing, which which is another, I guess, um, sort of moment where you're capitalizing on the flavorful history of magic. Right. I mean, when when I think about phasing, I think back to Teferi's era. It like takes you back to a place in time. You know, these mechanical words. Yeah, I I I would love to see that somewhere, somewhere else, somewhere. I don't know. It's it's cool, but I I also like esoteric things. So, the the more esoteric things y'all make, the the happier I will be about it. Maybe we'll get a little bit of these kind of in-jokes, maybe not to the extent of um, Time Spiral Block, but in Modern Horizons. But Yeah, Modern Horizons definitely has some of this fun in-joke stuff going on with it. Yeah, we we have seen Sarah and Cabal Therapist already. Um, I'm, I'm very excited to talk more about that set. That was the uh, set, first set I got to write uh, creative text for. So um. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say... Is if you like Time Spiral Block, there will be plenty in Modern Horizons for you you to love. Trust me on that. Set is so good. My wallet is not ready. There is something in that set for literally everybody. But let's get back to uh, Warless Park. Um, so there, there were lots of lots of kind of top-down designs, especially when it comes to Planeswalkers. Um, we have thirty-six in the set. Thirty-seven. And everyone has at least one signature spell, quote unquote, that has their name in it. And a bunch of them appear in in art and whatnot. Um, so these are all, well, I should say, almost all characters who have existed and have power sets. And so so players uh, who have been around kind of know what they do. And then for new players, you get to make cards that kind of show them, hey, this is this character, this is what they do, and um, kind of provide teaching moments. Um, so so out of out of those, uh, what were some of your favorite kind of planeswalker related? Uh, top-down moments that you got to design. Well, I, you know, something that I really love that we stumbled upon earlier, and it's not necessarily a specific one, but I love the not only having the Planeswalkers in the set, there's tons of them, but also having all the cards named after the Planeswalkers. That's really cool. It just mm-hmm. helps it feel like there is this war going on. And yeah, you've got a Domri's ambush mm-hmm. rolling around to, to hit somebody, which is really cool. Is Domri there? No, it doesn't matter. He just did a thing for you. And to me, that's really, really cool. The hardest Planeswalkers to, to get right, and the ones where you really leaned into flavor the most, I think, are on a lot of, of the hybrid Planeswalkers. Because we, cause yeah. doing, hybrid, doing Planeswalkers is hard. Doing uncommon Planeswalkers is ridiculously hard. And then you tell me you want them to be hybrid, too. They have to fit both colors. It's really challenging. And some of them definitely turned out better, better, uh, better than others. I know, for example... Angrath is one some people have told me about, like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. But the the one that I really like, or one of the ones I really like and I'm happy with, is um, Sahili, where Sahili ended up. Mm-hmm. To me, that just feels so Sahili and so unique. You you make servos, which are not of that world. Once again, you use the, the word servo, and it's like, oh, I, I get it. I get what's going on here. Um, it's, it's a Kaladesh thing. And you still get that copying in there, which just feels very Sahili to me. That's one that, that I really mm-hmm. enjoyed how it, how it turned out. Sahili is by far my favorite of the Uncommon Planeswalkers. 
she she's perfect. Um, I, I, a couple others that I really love. I love Jiang Yanggu, how he turned out, and it's so cool for us to be able to show the breadth of magic and bring in a character from the global series. That was really really awesome. I I, w- I was so excited when I saw him. Um, he's he's one of the characters I got to write for for Arena. Um, so so I I was really happy to see him in the set. I was really happy to see uh, that Mawu gets his own card. Um, I was so happy for Michael Yichao, who, uh, um, for those who don't know, did uh, uh, used to work at Watsi and Creative and and led a lot of that creative design work for that global series uh, pair of decks. Um, so so uh, Yangu's kind of Yangu and Mowu and uh, Yanling are kind of his baby. Um, it was a lot of responsibility for me. I I feel uh, having to write his dialogue for Arena because it's really the world's first look at him as a person and a character it was good just to have that moment and and i think that that's that's something the set like you know this ties back into the you know every planeswalker gets a signature spell is, is that um you know there there are no um tibbles and tamios here from avison restored where they show up on a planeswalker card at mythic rare and literally nowhere else in the set right i mean, I mean there's no there's no there, there's no tibbles and tamios here there's just tibbles and tamio <laughs> Right, but like then they get right. to have other cards. They get to appear on art. I was so excited when I saw Tybalt on the list too, because I'm like, finally, I get to write story content for Tybalt, and and because he was a character where, um, you know, since he had no story content, um, but his card was so bad, he like became a meme, and the Vorthos community really embraced him as this just goofy, eccentric loser kind of person um who's who's like not great but he's there and he's just having a good time like he's just a fun little guy who exists uh so i i really embrace that i I really and and this is another thing um where you get to do the mechanical callbacks that like mean things like the devil's tokens he makes are the ones that were in shadows over innistrad and eldritch moon like he gets to make the innistrad devils because he's from innistrad right and i lose those tiny details once again really um key into the flavor you know the ability to use a specific token just to call back to a whole plane that's so powerful it's it's funny because like i'm sitting here on the Vorthos cast and i like write a bunch of stuff for magic uh creatively um but i am also a huge mel i i love game design um i did pretty well on the last great designer search test not to toot my own horn or anything, but but it's something I am interested in. Something I and I follow, and uh, you know I love unpacking sets and looking at limited design and how um, sealed and draft are going to work and stuff. Um, just hundreds of game pieces have to interact, but there are like there are social standards for how they will interact. So like uh, it it's just fascinating. But so being able to watch. Both those sides of magic work so well in unison. Um, it makes cards feel like complete cards. Um, whereas you like sometimes you'll get a card that does just like a weird mechanical thing, and it's just really hard to flavor. And the card gets printed, and it's just like it just feels like a thing that has unrelated flavor that exists because it was difficult to do. And you and you look at it and say, yeah, that card was designed for a specific mechanical purpose, either for limited or constructed. Um, you, you, a lot of these are the, are these kind of weird constructed rares um, that y'all make. Um, or there will be a card that is, uh, you know, vanilla commons are often like this, where sometimes they're just just nobody is going to play them in any format. You know, they have all this flavor text, they have great art, they have a great evocative name. Um, so you get you get cards that can feel really Mel or really Vorthos, um, but then sometimes everything aligns and there's just just cards that feel whole in ways that others don't. And and I think War of the Spark is a set where so many of the cards are hitting that really happy place. Yeah, well, I I feel like the set is just jam packed full of flavor. It's hard to even find that many flavorless feeling cards there's like a few but even the commons you still see even like you know random creature commons you still see as like oh they're rising up to fight or they have some kind of inspirational flavor text or something that really ties them into the world nicely plus a lot of the commons were also given those characters names to mention that one more time so there's just a lot of really tiny tiny stuff you know 
So let's talk a little bit more about uh, the Planeswalkers, because um, I don't know if you know this, Gavin, but players really like Planeswalker cards, um, and and y'all put a lot into this set. <laughs> so so like uh, we have a couple situations where we have uh, three new Planeswalkers. So we have uh, Teo, Kesmina, and the Wanderer. And then, and then and then Davriel, who has never been on card before, although there is the whole novel about him as well. Yeah, that, that well, that was an interesting case because uh, that story got to be told uh, already. Where um, where y'all were working on that card, um, and then while the set was being designed, you know, the franchise team was talking with Brandon Sanderson about doing this novella. Um, and Brandon Sanderson said, hey, while I have this character, I've been thinking about if I ever wrote, got to write a magic story. And everyone, you know, the people on design were like, well, hmm, what's he do? Because we have this card and it sounds like it might be something that he could be on. And, and like that, that little happy accident of, uh, you know, being able to release the novella in, I think it was at the beginning of December, end of November. Um, and then a couple months later, already have his card ready is really cool. Yeah, when Brandon Sanderson uh, makes a character, you say yes. So, uh, oh, it is, it is. Um, I, I talked about this a little bit on on Twitter. I, d- I did a whole thread um, that if you haven't read yet, go read it because I I talked about uh, a little bit about the characters and like so right after I had read Children of the Nameless, um, is is when I got uh, hired uh, to write the dialogue for Arena, and I'm like looking at this list and I'm like. Okay, cool. You're like, oh, I'm excited. I get to write for like Ugin and Kiora and Obnixilis. These are like some of my favorite characters ever in the game, um, which was intimidating enough. And then I I see, and I'm just like, that's Davriel Kane. That's Brandon Sanderson's OC. Brandon Sanderson's like serious business in in the the fantasy uh, the fantasy genre. Um, how am I supposed to follow this up? And um, it's not easy. Um, there was a lot of anxiety, but, uh, you know, Brandon is great. And that, that character is just so fun and, and, and is so well written that, you know, it's very easy to look at him structurally and say, okay, this is who Davriel is. This is his powers. This is his attitude. This is his style of comedy. And, and then personally, I think I crushed it. And, uh, the arena team hired a great voice actor for him. Um, I'm really happy with how he turned out. I'm really, I'm pretty happy with his card too, because it's, it's, um, it's a little tricky because it's not like exactly his power set from the novella, but it's close enough to feel like Davriel and to feel like Davriel existing in this world. Yeah. And I think, it, yeah, it certainly hits his, what his power set could be. And, you know, if we see Davriel again in the future, maybe we'll call back to this. Who knows? Lordy, do I want to see Davriel again in the future? Please, please, please. Yes, indeed. Like, oh man. Um, he he is an example of a black aligned character who does not good things, um, but also doesn't get to be a hero, um, but also isn't awful. It, in a lot of the ways that Liliana is, because I like like I love Liliana too, but like she she's a terrible person sometimes. Um, you know, and then we have like villains like Obnixilis who are just the worst. Right, right. There, there's terrible people, and then there's oh yeah, sorry, you're bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like like Davriel is selfish, but he's not destructive. Right, right. Davriel has not tried to destroy any planes recently. Um, well, except that one time, which is why he's now hiding out on Innistrad. <laughs> and and like and like that's that's what I love so much about him as a character is that that he is. You know, like he gets to embody the selfishness of black in the color pie in in a way that nobody else really has yet. Like he just wants to be like left alone and do his own thing. Like he is totally self-centered, but he got to be an anti-hero and he's he's mean to people, but he's quirky and snarky enough to make it endearing. Like like I don't I don't like if there was just like a series like say say there was gonna be uh like a magic series or movie or something and davril was in it like gavin i know you'll appreciate like how good david tennant would do with that character yeah i would watch it yeah like it's almost like the purple man from um what's his name 
uh, Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones, exactly. It's it's pretty close to that in in how they act or how they think about things. So I could definitely see David Tennant without like the really the really awful villainness. Yes, of, exactly of, of um Kilgrave. But yeah, like like it's he, he I don't know he's he's just endearing. I'm 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 really happy that uh, Dave Humphreys you know did this planeswalker thing. So so was the um was the file handed off to you at the beginning with all the planeswalkers in it or was that something that your team figured out as you designed the set? Yeah, I think we actually added more planeswalkers in, which is pretty wild. Um because we wanted to get the Dave Humphreys decided he wanted to do the one planeswalker in every pack thing, which is awesome. And there's just certain math you have to do to make that reasonable. So, I think we actually upped the number of planeswalkers, which which is really cool. And then for we knew from the onset we're going to have a bunch of returning planeswalkers and a few new mm-hmm. planeswalkers. And there were mm-hmm. slots for a long time which were just like, this is going to be a, a blue new planeswalker. Oh, hey, it's Kazmina. This is going to be a black mm-hmm. new planeswalker. Oh, hey, it's Davriel or whatever. Um, and But Dave tried to make these new planeswalkers have very clear power suites. So Teo, for example, mm-hmm. being a great example of of – you look at Teo, you know, you know nothing about his character, but it, you kind of build that flavor of a person who builds shields, and it's cool to have that that shield mage thing going on. And then Creative was really able to craft some cool characters around them. Davriel's a unusual example because they slotted that in. Um, and then, you know, there's also some characters that we wanted to seed for future stuff, and maybe you'll uh, see some of these people in the future. And there's some characters I know who are conspicuously absent as well, and maybe you'll see them. Yeah, um, the, the wonder is not Elspeth, people. She's still in the Theros underworld. Garrick's not here. We got an exciting introduction to uh, Will and Rowan Kenrith last year. They're not here. Is that all? Is that all the big name? I think I'm missing somebody. It doesn't matter. But but but, but what are Warzel and Thommel up to, Lorelai? What are Warzel and Thommel doing right now? <sighs> You're gonna have to ask Ethan because I don't know if they're still alive. Um, I know I, I'm very excited for our, our next week episode. Uh, Jay is going to come back. Uh, uh, Jay is the the official um, consulting lore master for Magic and, and got to work closely with um, continuity consultations on uh, the Warless Brock novel. And there is a uh, I'm looking forward to hearing some stories about that because I was not involved with that. So I like I knew the broad beats of the story, but I did not know a lot of the specifics. So I'm re- I'm reading now. Um, it's been a very busy busy week for me. I I'm not finished reading the novel yet. Um I had I had two new projects start this same week. Um so uh look forward to things later this year and next year for me, I guess. Yeah, I I'm I'm excited to to finally like delve deep into the novel. I just love that we're doing they're doing novels again, right? Isn't that so cool that we have these back and who knows what it means for the future. <sighs> I I it is God, there's so much stuff. Like, I I was amazed just to have the corset have a story last year. Um, and then Kate Elliott comes out and writes Chronicle of Bolus, which is maybe my favorite magic story that's ever been written. Um, which I didn't think was a thing I could say about a corset. Like, I thought Origins did all was weird and did cool things with Fortho stuff. Um, but I, I I'm very excited. Um. I know I know enough about what magic's doing over over uh the near future that uh I can assure you all there there are so many cool things happening um and I don't know all the story plans for those but like god Matt, <laughs> um I I'm sure you get to hear this often enough Gavin but uh, magic is just really cool and it's just like it like uh, how, how many years have you been at Wizards now about seven and a half years pretty wild God, that means you must have started when you were like two or three years old. Um, it it still, by the way, does like weird me out that I'm older than you. <laughs> um, it, it like it doesn't feel like it. Oh, really? I really I would not have guessed that. Um, no, I'm I'm thirty. I'm basically basically a grandma by now. Well, congratulations on the grandkids. <laughs> Thanks. It's weird how I have those without having any actual kids. There might be some kind of time displacement thing happening. I don't know. I'll investigate that later. Homerids have lots of children, okay? <laughs> they do. Um, mostly from eating big things. I love Homerids spawning bed. By the way, Gavin, I know you maintain lists of things to reprint um, when they have a chance. 
I hope Homerate Spawning Bed is on there. It's not reserved list. I would love to be able to get a foil of that for my Thassa commander deck. Well, let me tell you that Homerids, I, I will not speak specifically to Homerids spawning bed, but I will say I want to get more Homerids into the world. So I am always looking for places. You just got to find the right ones. Maybe next time we go back to Dominaria. Like there, there will be a chance. We got Homerid Explorer last time. Who knows what's on the horizon? I know, I helped. <laughs> I, I'm so happy uh, Kelly put that in the set. Uh, and I, I had no idea that I had sent the puzzle to, to him, Allison, Sean, and Mel while shortly before he was working on Dominaria. That, that is just like, it's almost a Davriel situation where, where someone from outside Watsi said, hey, here's a cool thing. And someone from inside Watsi said, oh, we have a card in a file where this cool thing could fit. And like, it just kind of happened. We get inspiration from everywhere. And I feel constantly like the real world is influencing my designs. I mean, I've been influenced by travel, places that I've been. I've been influenced by things that friends have said. I've been influenced by books I've read. Like everything is inspiring in some way. So that's why, like for me personally, I try and open, open myself up to as many new people as possible and explore as much as possible to like just gain a wide range of ideas. And you never know when inspiration is going to strike. So yeah, you might just mention the homerid, the word homerid at the right time, and maybe it'll show up somewhere. There's also a bunch of legends in this set, by the way. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but like Fibblethip is here. I haven't been able to find him, though. Feather is here. Massacre Girl is here. Where's Yeva? Like, like we, we, are, we are hitting some legends that people have been asking about. I mean, people have been asking about a Feather card since the original Ravnica block, and that one came out, oh god, I want to say 13 years ago. And then, and then Massacre Girl and Fibblethip since Return to Ravnica, which is already five, six, seven? Is it 2012, 2013? Like, so Feather's a great example to me. I want to talk about Feather for a second. About how important it is that we match what people want out of the story. Because Feather was in the set for a very long time. Like, early on, we Dave identified, let's put Feather in. But here's, here's the thing you don't know is it was mono-white mm -hmm. for a very... Not with its current text, but it was a mono-white feather for a very, very, very long time. Mm -hmm. And eventually I, I talked to Dave, and I, was just, and I was just like, look, people have asked for feather for years, and they like feather in part because feather has a Boros background. We need to make it Boros to make sure that everyone who loves the story of magic feels satisfied by this card, because the last thing we want to do is release a card people have been asking for for years and have it not be what they wanted. We, you know, we get feedback all the time on cards like Ludovic, where people were like, oh man, this is not what I was hoping for in this card, which you can argue or not. But w with Feather, I knew especially we wanted to get it right. And so I'm really glad that Dave redesigned the card, made it red and white. I think the card is way cooler than what we had before anyway. And I... It's so cool. Card is insanely awesome. And I, the, it really represents Boros nicely, and it's, it is a great homage to Feather. So to me, that's an example of where flavor made that card a lot better. Y'all, you designed a Boros commander that has um, Jocely Kwai excited to play Boros in commander. <laughs> like, you've done the impossible. Um, and, like, I've... I've I've seen her do cool things in Standard Brew so far. Um, I was talking to someone earlier today who just got shredded by Feather in um, War of the Spark Sealed on Arena because someone uh, was just being able to loop uh, Samut's uh, pump spell every turn and just kept scrying <laughs> and kept pumping the team and kept giving everything haste. Um, she she is... like, like so, so, and that was a situation where, like, if you told someone to design a top-down feather card, I don't know what design people would say. Um, like, do you have her not fly? Like, so this is a situation where, like, had you made feather and commander, I think the impulse might have been to make the bound wing version from the Ravnica novels. But, like, it would be weird to have an angel that doesn't fly, and that would confuse a lot of people, um, and it would feel wrong. But, like... So if you have Feather flying, what does that mean for her as a character? Um, and I think the card you landed on was a situation where, you know, you know, you 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 went past the genius brain of let's make this cool and clever and, and went to the galaxy brain part of let's just give her a cool card that people will like playing. The magic of the Feather card isn't that 
you read the mechanics and it screams feather to you is that you look at the name line and it says feather on it and that she does something awesome that nobody's seen before that people will love so like like hats off to all y'all for that card specifically because that was that was that was a high bar to hit um i i think y'all just crushed it yeah well you talked about what kind of feather we can make and i'll just i'll give you some late breaking information well not late breaking i guess that's happened a long time ago but i will tell you i don't think anyone's told the story yet about anything but the original feather it was mono white and it was a four mana five five flyer and it couldn't attack unless it was attacking alone and the idea there was like feather was a loner you know like after what happened in the story just kind of like almost guildless in a sense just kind of lonely and out there well, th- th- there was a point where she was the only Boros Angel still alive. Yeah, so, so she's quite the loner, and a lot happened, you know, in the time between between original Ravnica and now. And so that was the design that we made. And while I said, like I said, it was fine. Like you could look at it and say, "Hey, that's feathery." The fact that it wasn't Boros and it wasn't really the awesome card people wanted. It wasn't the commander players could build around, and a lot of Vorthos, of course, love commander play. We wanted to make sure we could do this one we appropriately. Sure so, yeah, it's. I'm so glad where we ended up with in that card in particular. All right, and and I think this is actually a pretty good place to end this episode. Um, so uh, we're we're gonna do some final thoughts, and, and I guess uh, Gavin, we will we will let you go first because I I know you have a little time constraint here. Uh, so uh, just uh, general final thoughts. Um, you know, this is uh the first day that Warless people get to play War of the Spark on Arena. Um, we had a blockbuster preview season so uh just just kind of you know what you know, what's your overall thought about it and, and being able to watch community reactions to it well i just have to say the reaction to war of the spark has been incredible i mean we had high hopes for this set very very high hopes for war of the spark but it is smashing even our hopes it's doing so well, and we didn't really know how the whole event thing was going to go over. Would people understand what we were doing? Because there's always this risk, you know, when you do something different and unusual, are people going to get it? Are they going to understand it? Are they going to love what we've done with the story? Are they going to enjoy a story-focused thing? And on all these things, and I feel like it executed so well on both design and on creative, and we knew it was good going out there, and seeing the reception so far has been great. Now, granted, the pre-release hasn't even happened yet, so maybe no one, no one will show up and mm-hmm. the whole thing will fall off the rails. But from everything we're seeing right now, this has the potential to be one of the largest Magic sets we've ever done. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, it's really exciting. It's cool to see this big blockbuster at the end of a story arc and have everyone so thrilled about it. Plus, also, by the way, Planeswalker in every pack. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. So you really get to tell some cool, some cool stuff, and you really get to show how relevant the story is. And I think for for all what you do here on the Vorthos cast, to me, this is a huge validation that story really, really does matter. People will tell you sometimes, oh, I would just play Magic if it was a bunch of cardboard squares with names like Black Spell number 67 or whatever. But no, story really does matter. And all the stuff we write and all the stuff we build up to, people, people pay attention and it directly translates to excitement around a set. And to me, War of the Spark is living proof of that. Oh, there, there, there is no doubt about that. Magic just hasn't ever had anything like this before. We have seen interest in Magic story ramp up more than I have ever seen in history. Um, we have, you know, pro players and MPL members saying, "Hey, I saw the trailer, and now I'm curious about this." Um, someone point me in the direction of Magic story so I can like learn what is happening in this set, and that's like that's exactly what i want to hear as a story fan and as someone who has creative input into um you know the, the way the cards tell the story and, and the you know the things arena is doing for the characters and um it's awesome um so so you know my my final thought for this episode um to to focus specifically on arena and now to actually purposefully toot my own horn is i wrote for arena and it's it's um <laughs> there's i'm still trying to wrap my head around it it's very surreal I, I, I don't know if uh, after seven years, uh, Gavin, you, you still get this weird giddy feeling of, holy crap, I actually like still work for this game. Like, how cool is it? Um, but, you know, I'm less than a year from doing anything professionally with Magic and it, like it's still exhilarating. I still can't believe this is real. 
Um, so, you know, everyone who has Arena, please go check it out. I'm, I'm going to link to the big thread I put on uh, Twitter last week. You know, with uh, I wrote for 18 of the characters, wrote their dialogue. So uh, if you play Arena, please play with the sound on um, and hear all this awesome dialogue that I wrote because I would appreciate it. And they're very cool characters. Well, and I'm so glad you got to do work on it. I'm such a big Vorthos fan. It's so cool to me when we get to reward people who've worked so hard and know so much about the game with a really cool opportunity like this. So thank you for all your hard work. I appreciate it. Brian, final thought. My final thought. I have a two-fold final thought. My my first final thought is that the Japanese alternate art Planeswalkers are amazing and I'm very sad that my wallet is about to be destroyed trying to acquire some of these. So that that's these, like, they're just so great. Like, I'm super excited to try to acquire some of these. And my second final thought is that Tulsmere Returns in Voya is still amazing and it's great. God, we didn't even really mention those exclusive Japanese promos, did we? That is the coolest we can discuss it further in detail next week i guess yeah we'll, we'll talk about that more to me i just want to say i i think that the start of something really exciting like we wanted to try out something new and players receptions to it so far have been phenomenal and keep them coming yeah and so i i who knows what might, might be next around the corner i guess well i know but you don't <laughs> <laughs> i i know a little bit too it like it it's just it's hard just not to be vibrating with excitement because there's just there's just so much cool things in the pipeline i'm like i i get like giddy like a little kid still and i'm like old as hell so um magic's just awesome um and if y'all think uh if all y'all listeners think magic is awesome too and enjoy listening to our show you can head over to patreon.com slash the vorthos cast Everyone who supports our show gets access to our Discord community, where Vorthoses from around the world are get together and being super duper excited for War of the Spark and Magic Story and all these planeswalkers and all this stuff. And it's just the best time. So we appreciate everyone who supports our show. We cannot, cannot make it without your support. We put out one of these suckers every week, which is, uh, you know, it's it's a bunch of work, and, and we appreciate um, everyone who helps it keep going. And uh, special thanks to you, Gavin. Thank you so very much for uh, joining us this week on the episode and, and getting to talk about something that uh, we don't honestly... It's, you know, um, magic design is not a topic that we cover very often. Just, uh, yeah, th- thanks for uh, coming, hanging out when we're down to a skeleton crew, because our friends are abandoning us. <laughs> no, thank you for having me on. It's so cool coming and getting to talk about the Vorthos kind of mind with you all. I mean, I love thinking about the creative and flavor of magic. I have a long list of characters I want to get out there, a long list of places I want to go to, and I love slipping in all kinds of little Easter eggs. So I think there'll be some really fun things in the near-term future for you to all enjoy. There's a few things this year, especially Modern Horizons, that'll give you all some fun Easter eggs to think about, and maybe even some things you don't even know about yet. So I can't wait for both you and the whole Vorthos community to see them. And I am sure I'll be tweeting all about them when they happen. So pay attention. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.